with it being a baptism service and our first baptism service since uh, lockdown began, I will, as I normally do, break into our usual series. So God willing, in February, we'll be back to look at gospel gems in Jeremiah. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The two getting baptised this morning are bearing testimony to the fact that they have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. The water of baptism there doesn't do anything. It's just a symbol of the spiritual washing from our sins that happens the moment we turn to Jesus Christ. So can I ask the question again? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I can see somebody nodding his head. How can I be washed? What is it to be washed? What is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We read from 2 Kings chapter 5, where we have a lovely illustration of what it is to be washed. Not so much in a river. I know Naaman was cleansed from his leprosy in the Jordan, but this is a picture of what it is to be cleansed from our spiritual leprosy. If you were here last Sunday morning, we looked at 10 lepers and we took their leprosy as a sign of our spiritual disease, the disease of sin, which is just like uh, leprosy. Leprosy I know it causes disfigurement, but that's not the root cause of leprosy. It's a disease that numbs the nerve endings, and that's what causes the disfigurement. And it's so much true spiritually that we are not just numb to the things of God, the things that we've been singing about this morning, the things we have been praying about, the things we've been reading about Every person that is born into this world isn't just numb to these things, but we are dead to them. And maybe the problem is we're comfortably numb to them. We think we're all right. You see, Naaman had everything going for him. He was commander of the army of the king of Syria. Syria at this time was the great superpower. And Naaman was number two in the kingdom. After the king, he was the next most important man. He was a great and he was an honorable man. And he had been successful. The Lord had given him victory. He was also a mighty man of valor. He was a brave man. He had everything going for him. And then we come across the butts, but he was a leper. And the same can be said of mankind today. There is something great, isn't there, about what man, and by that I mean mankind, 
can do. Uh, aren't you amazed at some of the great feats of human ability? I, uh, I love uh, looking at the uh, second seven crossing. And I can't, I can't make up my mind which is the greatest, the old seven bridge or the, the second seven crossing. But the feats of engineering and even in these last couple of years, just the medical advances that has enabled us to be vaccinated. So mankind is able to do great things. And when you think of individual people, uh, people are kind. Uh, people uh, can uh, do all sorts of, of good things. And yet there's a but. There's a but. The last century which saw man rise in terms of his achievements to his highest level also saw man decline, as it were, and the worst things happening. And the same is true of you and me, individually. There's a but. There's a but. There's a spiritual leprosy in every one of us. It's not a superficial disease. It's something inside of us. And we can come to church and we can be respectable people. We can be good people. But in our hearts, we are lepers. And the worst thing about leprosy is that it makes us unclean. We're unclean to a clean God. God is of purer eyes than to look upon iniquity. And our hearts, even if we don't commit sins as much as others, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. We've got this horrible, horrible disease. Everything is twisted. And if we die in this condition, we will be under God's judgment forever. There's a but. There's a but. I know there are new faces here this morning because of the two getting baptised. So I don't know all of you. And a number of us will have been coming to this church for years and for years and for years. But I know one thing about every one of us. We have this spiritual leprosy. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how respectable we are. It doesn't matter how long we have professed to be a Christian for. It doesn't matter whether we have no interest in Christianity. We're all by nature lepers. Do you find that offensive? One of the greatest preachers in the 20th century was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. We've got a photo of him in the vestry. And he was preaching once in Oxford, Oxford University, in the Christian Union. And somebody went up to him afterward, all offended, 
And they said to him, you were treating us as if we were in Oxford prison. You, you were speaking to us, uh, intelligent students, as if we were the prisoners of Oxford jail. And he took that as a compliment. Because we're all in the same boat. Naaman's condition was terminal. And your condition, my condition, is terminal. I, I don't want to be messing around with you, you know. I don't want uh, to be entertaining you. I want, in the words of Richard Baxter, to preach as near to preach again as a dying man to dying men and women. So this Naaman, this great man, has a but, just as every one of us has the but of spiritual leprosy in our CV before God. But the reason why we're looking at this chapter isn't so much the condition of Naaman. It's the fact that he was cured of his condition. And that is why we have a baptism service this morning. It's because two sinners have been saved from their sin. That's what a church is. A church is a collection of sinners, yes, but they have been saved. We still have sin, but God has done something to us in order to deliver us from this horrible leprosy. Now, how can I be cured? Well, let's look at what happens to Naaman, and we'll see this as an illustration of the spiritual cure. Naaman couldn't cure himself. There was no doctor in the whole of Syria who could treat his condition. There's a spiritual song which puts it like this. There was Naaman the leper, that honourable man, a captain of the Syrian host. He was badly afflicted and sick in the bone and a burden for all of his host. Oh my, what a sight. His disease made him white. No doctor could help him, I've seen. He never did pray, and he knew not the way to get to that beautiful stream. But his wife had a maid. This is God's way. This is just astounding. A Hebrew girl. Naaman was captain of the armies of Syria. They had invaded Israel. And they had brought back captive different Hebrew people. And one of those was this girl who became the maid. She was a slave girl. So she could have felt... Uh, hatred towards Naaman uh, as the one who had uh, kidnapped her. Uh, she, she could have uh, resented him. But what does she do? She happens to hear about his condition. And, oh, her heart goes out to him. Instead of wanting revenge on him, she wants him to be healed. Th this is the gospel, my friends. We have offended God we, we have turned our backs on him. We have gone our own way. And God uh, would be righteous if he was to say to you and to me, if you want to go your own way, 
you can go that way and you will be lost forever. But God isn't like that. God loves to go after lost souls. And oh, my friend, if this little girl reached out to Naaman, how much more does God reach out to you and to me? And she was a nobody. Here is Naaman, the most important person. And here is this slave girl, a nobody. But she's got something that Naaman hasn't got. She's got the answer. And I don't know if this is the first time you've come to church and you may think, you know, what are these Christians? We are in the minority today. Uh, We are just old-fashioned. There's nothing special about us. And I will say to you, I agree. We're nobodies. I'm a bit like the slave girl. I'm nobody special. I'm not the good and the great. But I've got a message. I've got an answer that will heal you of your spiritual leprosy. All she said, verse 3, if you've got a Bible, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. There's the answer. She She didn't say anything else. She didn't say, I'm the one who can treat you. Some people come to church and they think that uh, the priest, incidentally, I'm not the priest, right? I'm not the priest. (laughs) Jesus Christ is the priest. This, This girl doesn't say, I can treat you. Oh, no. She says, I know a man who can. Do you remember the old AA adverts? About a person breaking down and somebody stopping to try and help them. And uh, the person who's broken down asks them, do do, do you know how to fix this? And the person says, no, I don't. But I know a man who can. I know a man who can. And then the AA man comes. And it's a bit like that with this girl and with those of us who are Christians. We, We are not the answer to your problems, but we know a man who can. We know a man who can. And then the story goes along these lines. What we see here, you see, is this contrast between this great man and this nobody. God's ways are not your ways or my ways. This is the contrast that runs through this account. Uh, What does Naaman do then? Well, he's a great man, so he's thinking in his own way. What does he think? He thinks, ah... The king of Syria has got to communicate with the king of Israel. See, that's man's way. And so an official letter is written. Verse 6. Be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servants, to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. And if they had headed notepaper, I'm sure this letter would have been written on that headed notepaper. And the paper would have been of the expensive kind. And it would have had the royal seal on it. Everything is done in an important way. And when the king of Israel receives the letter, he tears his clothes and says, I'm not the one who can heal a man of his leprosy. I'm not God. Can you see the problem? Naaman is thinking in human terms. He's thinking in terms of greatness. But that's not the message of the gospel. It's a little girl, a slave girl, that God uses. And when... Naaman comes 
to Israel. It's not the king of Israel who can heal him. It's a prophet. Now, prophets weren't popular. They weren't popular in their day. Elisha the prophet, he succeeded Elijah. He was given a double portion of the spirit of Elijah, so he was a great prophet, but he was despised. And so Elisha hears about Naaman going to the king of Israel, and Elisha says to the king of Israel, send him to me, send him to me. And what happens? Naaman comes to Elisha's door. We don't know where Elisha would have lived. I can't imagine Elisha living in a palace, can you? It would have been a cottage, I'm sure, a cottage. You know, like some of these cottages in Mid Wales. That's where Elijah would have lived, I'm sure. And what happens? A retinue comes to his front door. Have you ever had a retinue come to your front door? I've never had that happen to me. It's it's like uh, the presidential uh, (laughs) retinue. Not limousines, but chariots. An important person is coming. What would you have done? Elisha doesn't even bother answering the door. He sends a message. This is how one person put it. Naaman wanted to be treated as a great man who happened to be a leper, while Elisha treats him as a leper who just happened to be a great man. I don't know what would we do if our first minister came to our church. We would have to honour him because of his office. But when we're in church before God, the standards of the world are upside down, aren't they? (laughs) Naaman is incensed. He's deeply offended. How dare he? Not come out and treat me with the respect that I deserve. And to make matters worse, the message that Elisha gives Naaman is so simple. It's so plain that he's offended by that. What did he say? Wash yourself in the Jordan seven times and you shall be clean. Now, you've seen the photo of the Jordan You've seen the contrast between the Jordan and some of the great rivers of the world. Even our own river Taff is greater than the Jordan. And Naaman is really angry. Uh, He says, uh, I can't believe this man. I've come all the way from Syria to Israel. I've visited the king of Israel. And I've come to the house of this prophet and he doesn't come and greet me. And he just gives me a plain, simple message. He says, doesn't he? Indeed, I said to myself, verse 11, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. He will do some fancy thing. 
Are not the Abana and the Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I at least not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But you know, there's only one river where Naaman can be cured. It doesn't matter how great, how good, how clean all the rivers of Syria are. There's only one place for healing. And my friend, maybe you are offended by this message this morning because there is an uniqueness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is no other place for spiritual cleansing but Jesus Christ. There is no other God but Jesus Christ. But Naaman's servant, like the Hebrew slave girl, she cares for him. And he cares for his master. And so he runs after Naaman and he says, Look, look, if Elisha had asked you to do something great, you would have done it. But when he asks you to do something as simple as go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? And Naaman does it. And his skin, which was ravaged by the horrible leprosy, becomes soft and supple like the skin of a newborn baby. Now, I want to try and follow the example of Naaman's servants and try and get you to see sense this morning. If you haven't yet, come to Jesus. Look, God isn't asking you to do something great in order to be forgiven and to be washed of your sin. I can understand why you think that way. I used to think that way. I used to think, oh, if only I could just do something in order to make myself right with God. I'd, I'd be willing. I'd be willing to go on pilgrimage to St. David's. Maybe it's not as uh, important as Rome, but if I went a few times to St. David's, that might give me brownie points with God. Or you might think, if only I had to do a certain amount of good, surely that will outbalance all the bad that I've done. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that because all the good that we do is tainted by spiritual leprosy as well. The problem is this, as Augustus Toplady, the hymnist, said, not the labours of my hands can fulfil thy law's demands. Could my tears forever flow? It won't work. Could my zeal no respite? No. Even if we work till we drop, it won't do anything. Oh, for sin cannot atone. Thou must save and thou alone. It's so simple. It's so clear. Only Christ can save you and me. Nothing else. Not our attending church. Not our good works. Nothing. Christ alone. There's only one river. It might look like a dirty stream. It looks so small in comparison to all the other great rivers of the world. But that's God's way. That's God's way.
Wash in the Jordan and be cured of leprosy? What a preposterous idea. I can't think of anything more ridiculous, said Dale Ralph Davis. Well, maybe one thing is more ridiculous. The idea that putting your trust and faith in a man executed on a cross 2,000 years ago can give you eternal life. Only one way. And that way is a man born 2,000 years ago, not born in the palace, born in a stable, not hobnobbing with the great and the good, but living in the backwater of Galilee. Not rich, but poor. Are you offended by that? That it's that man you've got to put your trust in. If we would have lived 2,000 years ago in Galilee, I don't think we would have recognized anything special in Jesus of Nazareth. Like the people of his hometown, we would have just seen him as Joseph's son. There was nothing to draw attention to the fact that this man is none other than God. That is why Christianity is unique. There's no other religion in the world that tells you that God became one of us. And he wasn't a freak. He was a real human being with a beating heart. And that heart went out for lost souls. He touched the lepers in his day. That was something that was forbidden. But his love didn't know any boundaries. If the Hebrew slave girl, if Naaman's servant was concerned about him, my friends, Jesus Christ is concerned about you this morning. Do you hear his welcome voice? Bidding you to come to him. Come to me. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, you may feel yourself to be the most unclean person, spiritually speaking. I will wash them and make you as white as snow. What's more preposterous than this man dying? That that is your hope. You, you, you don't boast in someone's death, do you? You boast in somebody doing a great work. But this is what offended people in uh, Jesus' day. After he died and rose from the dead, and after he commissioned the apostles to take this gospel around the then civilized world, what offended them was that the Messiah that was being preached was a man that had been condemned as a criminal. How can something as weak and as shameful as that death, execution, not just execution in the normal sense of the word, but crucifixion, the worst kind of execution. I'm telling you this morning about the man who died a criminal's death. I'm not interested in talking about other things. I'm not interested in the Christian's response to this and that. I'm interested in your soul. I'm interested in the fact that we're all spiritual lepers. I'm interested in the fact that there is a love 
that comes down from heaven and that did something two years, uh, 2,000 years ago. I'm interested in the fact that this love accomplished our salvation on the cross. And it was that shameful death on not a green hill, but on an old ragged cross, that that is the only answer to our spiritual leprosy. There is no other way. There is no other way. The God-man, the perfect man, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He touched, as it were, our uncleanness, and he became as an unclean thing, and he took all the wrath of God, and he died so that he might defeat death. He went to hell so that we don't have to go there. He did everything that was necessary so that we don't have to do anything. This salvation is being offered to you and to me as a free gift this morning. What's stopping us? What's stopping us? I've got to come to a conclusion because we've got to get to the baptism, but I quoted uh, an Afro-American spiritual, no doctor could help poor Naaman. No doctor could help him. He couldn't even pray. And he knew not the way to go into that beautiful stream. But he heard of a man in the Hebrew land. A little maid told him about. I'll go if I can, he said to his friend. And I'll be relieved. I'm in no doubt. This isn't Shakespeare, right? (laughs) So he went and called on the servants of God. And Elisha refused to be seen. But he lifted his burden and sent him to Jordan to wash in that beautiful stream. And we know what happened. So Naaman went on and the servant had gone, whom Elisha had sent to the door. He did not believe that he had received from the prophet a perfect cure. He thought the rivers down in his own land were better because they were clean. It was just about night when he got in the light and plunged in that beautiful stream. And it doesn't end with Naaman. It comes to you and to me. It doesn't end with Ian and Jai. It comes, the invitation, to you and to me. Oh, sinner, that's what you are. That's what I am. Let's get rid of the veneer. Oh, sinner, oh, sinner. Are you not the same as Naaman, that noted Syrian? Not good rhyming. (laughs) Your sickness injures both body and soul and makes you feel loathsome and mean. If you feel you are lost, just come to the cross and Jesus will then make you clean. If you feel you are sick, just come along quick and get into that beautiful stream. Go wash in that beautiful stream. Go wash in that beautiful stream. O Naaman, O Naaman, Go down and wash. Go wash in that beautiful stream. Oh, Naaman's here this morning. You might be great in the world, but before God, you're a sinner. You might be a nobody in the world, but before God, you're a sinner. But there's a stream, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, God's veins, the God-man And sinners like you and me and Naaman and Ian and Jai plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains.
Praise be to God for a simple gospel. You don't need a degree in theology to understand this. You don't need to come to church for a while before you understand it. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You've just got to take the plunge. It's a, it's a great trial for me. I love baptisms, right? I am always blessed, but I've got to put to death the flesh because I am petrified of water. <laughs> and when I went to secondary school, this wouldn't happen today. Uh, we had a PE teacher who wanted to get rid of our fears. And so what he did with those of us who were afraid of water was he threw us into the deep end. He threw us into the deep end. You know, I sometimes wish I could grab hold of some of you because you still don't believe in Jesus Christ. You're still trying to do something. You're still trying to wait for an experience. You're still trying to wait until you're good enough to say that you can now come to Christ. I just want, like that PE teacher, I just want to grab you and throw you into that beautiful stream. But I can't. I can't. I can try and reason with you. I can try and say, don't be stupid. You're going to die one day. You don't know how long you've got left. You know that you're not ready to stand before your maker. You know that Jesus Christ has done everything. Why don't you just come to him? Why don't you? You've got to do it yourself. You've got to take that plunge. Won't you do it this morning? Won't you cast yourself on Jesus Christ? You know you're a sinner. You know you can't save yourself. You know. But he can. And he's willing. Why not take that plunge? In C.S. Lewis's Pilgrim's Regress, he uses this illustration of somebody becoming a Christian. The person just dives. You don't, you don't have to have style to dive. You just, you just go. It's not easy believism I'm talking about. It's not just head knowledge. This is just casting your life, your soul, your eternal destiny completely on another. I always tell, we are coming to the baptism, I always tell those getting baptized, just let yourself go. The water, the water will do the rest. Jesus Christ says, come, come to me. Just fall on me. Fall on me. A poor, uh, I can't remember the exact word, sinful wretch into thy kind arms I fall. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death. I stake my whole eternity. Praise be to God. There is washing from our sin 
in the blood of Jesus Christ, and we can be eternally, eternally saved. May we have other baptisms soon, because others here have cast themselves on Jesus Christ and known the cleansing.